Hey, manufacturing world. Welcome to another episode of Shop Matters, sponsored by Akuma America. I'm your host, Wade Anderson. This podcast is designed to talk about all things manufacturing related. Today, joining me in the studio, I'm excited to have Jack Rushlander from Jurgens and Ari Thompson from Gosker Automation. So welcome, guys. Thank you. All right. So Jack, lead us off. Tell us, uh, tell everybody that's listening a little bit about Jack. Well, I'm Eastern Technical Manager for Jurgens Work Holding. And I've got about 40 years experience uh, basically figuring out how to hold parts for manufacturing. And that's what I do all day long. And anything east of the Mississippi, different companies that uh, Jurgens is working with, my typical, typical uh, day for me is to go around looking at people's manufacturing opportunities and helping them figure out ways to hold it so they can machine it. All right. And you can't machine it if you can't hold it. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Very good. All right. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm Ari Thompson, uh, director of sales for Gosker Automation. Um, really started in, at Gosker Automation and in, uh, inside sales or um, application engineering, worked into some mechanical design roles and uh, designing custom systems back before we had uh, the automation within reach group. Um, so I've really grown through the ranks pretty quickly at Gossiger, but uh, you know times are changing, and everybody in the industry is looking more for uh, automation to supplement their workforce and uh, you know aid their throughput. So doing more with less. Yeah, so. absolutely. That's kind of the the main it's buzzword good, right it's now. It's a right? good way to put it, Ari. <laughs> yeah. So um, most recently, the the last time I saw uh, you guys and, and all three of us were together was actually at Gosker Fest. Yeah. Um, so what a what a great event that was! Pretty exciting. Um, do you recall the the total head count that was there that that weekend? I don't know week? the exact head count. I know we had uh, north of a thousand customers through over the course of two days. I think that yeah. puts us pretty much on track to be probably the largest privately held machine tool show in the country. Um, you know, we had uh, about 70 vendors and, and 20 on the waiting list. Just quite frankly, we ran out of space right. um, in, in our uh, in our campus environment that we have. But uh, a lot of uh, technology on display, anything you could think of from uh, a cutting tool perspective or manufacturing perspective. And then also, uh, you know, three buildings full of uh, automation from standard automation and our load and goes all the way up mm-hmm. to custom automation, you know, on uh, – you know, multi-machine, multi-robot, uh, linear gantry cells, uh, as well as floor-mounted uh, custom cells for various customers. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point when you think about just the amount of technology that was shown, um, not only from the cutting tool or the machine cutting standpoint. You know, I, I go to machine tools. I first go because I want to see the equipment. I like looking at machines. I'm a, I'm a machine geek. But then I want to get down to, okay, what's what's the new stuff? What's new things that Jurgen's bringing out? What's the new cutting tool technologies? What are they doing from a programming standpoint? Um, and with that many vendors, 70 different vendors, and a lot of them tied into demos on the machines, um, it was almost mind-boggling how much stuff you could see. Every machine had some unique features. So, Yeah, that's a nice size show, too, because over all the years I've been in it, uh, it's a large enough show that you've got good quality vendors there but it's not so large that it's intimidating, like going to an IMDS or something where there's just so much to see that you just end up running through the aisles trying to see it all. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I like I like that show. It was a very, very class act. Yeah. So I got to talk to a lot of customers over the, the course of the couple of days that I was there, and uh, you'd mentioned three buildings full of automation. Um, it goes without saying that uh, not only just Gossiger, per se, customers, 
Um, there were customers there from other territories and, and other areas as well. And everybody that I talked to, automation was was the big word. Um, yeah. Every customer that was there, they all had something to talk about automation or the fact that they don't think they can automate, but they're trying to figure out, they know they got to get there. So, you know, through the pandemic um, and just the, the job market, the way it is trying to find people. And this goes long pre-pandemic, the, the biggest heartburn I always hear from customers trying to find good help. And that's repetitive, you know, everywhere I go. Yeah, one of my questions uh, when I go into an opportunity is I say, hey, if I was magic and I could do anything you wanted, what would it be? And I'll bet probably 75, 80 percent of the time right now I get, find me good people. Yeah, yeah. Is the answer I'm getting. And now they're realizing a lot of times the, the good people looks like a yellow or an orange uh, piece of equipment in front of that machine, right? So <laughs> he, he, he never calls off and he never gets sick and yeah. he doesn't have any problems. He don't have to wear a mask either. Right. <laughs> to that point, last week I gave a presentation at WMTS, which is the uh, Wisconsin Machine Trade Show, um, talking about specifically that, you know, every, every customer in the or, or shop owner in the country is looking for skilled workforce. They're just mm -hmm. not out there unless you're stealing them from somebody or you're grooming them. Right. But those people take years, you know, to get to the point where you they're really self-sufficient and, you know, somebody that's a true contributor to the team. So how do you do that more quickly, you know, without, um, you know, without without being able to find those people so yeah. you're really investing in whether it be awr or some of our custom automated cells um, you're, you're investing in that technology from an automation perspective to amortize that skilled labor that you currently have over multiple work cells as we call them mm -hmm. um, so you're taking um, you know the rather than it's, it's truly a paradigm shift quite honestly as far as going from one operator one machine type work centers uh, to you know one operator being able to service two three four and sometimes mm -hmm. up to six or, or seven cells um, you know when you start getting into that four five six cells even with small setups you know in the um, you know where your lot sizes are into the 50 to 100 piece uh, range um, you know that that changes things significantly yeah. from a for a job shop manufacturer um, you know, a lot of the larger manufacturers throughout the country have already been on this wave of automating, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and amortizing that, that skill set that they have, that operator skill set over multiple pieces of equipment with the automation. Um, but, you know, the job shops, the smaller manufacturers, uh, they're, they're just now dipping their toe into the water. Um, so, you know, so when you start talking about, hey, you know, I hear all, time and time again that, you know, lot sizes, my lot sizes are too small. Well, what are your lot sizes exactly? Right. You know, and they say, well, I, you know, about 100 pieces. Well, that's fine. We can automate that. We mm -hmm. automate that all, all the time, mm -hmm. especially with AWR, automation within reach, uh, where we have, uh, you know, flexible part contact tooling, adjustable drawer inserts, yep. um, you know, so that you, and you can quickly and easily call up different programs um, via the HMI rather than calling up, you know, remastering the robot. <clears throat> Yep. And reteaching points, um, you know, it's very quick. You know, changeovers are minutes rather than, you know, tens of minutes or even hours. Um, so you can do those uh, those 50-piece lot sizes, 100-piece lot sizes very quick and easy. Um, it's really, uh, is it a reoccurring order? Is right. it an order that you see yeah. multiple times over the course of a year? Yeah, even if it's small quantities but it's reoccurring, mm -hmm. then it's easy enough to go back to. So. Well, we were at Gossiker Fest, Jack and I, we were leaned up against a cocktail table, you know, right there in the middle of the floor. And that's kind of where some of this idea from this podcast came from is, you know, we're just sitting there leaning on our elbows against the, the table talking about how does a guy take a machine 
that's not been automated or a process that's not been automated. You know, Joe Schmo, Wade Anderson's been loading this part this way for the last umpteen years. How do you take that and that knowledge and the skill set that me or any anybody's got to load those parts and make it in an environment that's automated? Um, so you had brought up like some clearance uh, things that you got to consider from your fixturing, work holding, and a clearance standpoint. Talk through your thought process. Yeah, on that. Um, what I typically do with a customer, and I look at it specifically from the work holding side, is uh, I'll sometimes ask them, "Okay, show me how to how, how do you load this part." into your current fixture, be it a vice, be it a call chuck, be it a fixture, whatever it is. And I'll say, I just want to watch you load it. I want you to watch you load it and unload it a few times. And then I'll let them do it and I won't say anything. And I'll, and I'll finally say, okay, now look what you just did. Subconsciously, you put the part in the vice with your left hand and then you held it down against your z-axis datum, you pushed it up against your y-axis datum, you held it against your x-axis datum, you did all that without even thinking because mm -hmm. you're a skilled machinist, and then you tighten your vice handle. And we got to do that with the automatic system. We yeah. have to do all those little nuances that you just did. Now, if you take that same situation and move it to a horizontal, where the guy's got, say, a tombstone vice or a fixture, and gravity isn't exactly your friend in a horizontal configuration. Now you got to push a little harder, and you got to think a little harder, and you got to do little things just a little bit more involved. Same thing with with a robot or an automation. But what I like to, about having the podcast and being able to talk about it like this is to, you know, I've been doing this for forty years. So twenty five years ago, people were so intimidated by even you mentioned the word robot. You know, they they you know they were thinking about Star Trek or something. And um, I saw a little sign out here as I was walking around. It said, your dream is doable. It's delightfully doable. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, that is a really good slogan for automation today because it is doable. Mm -hmm. you, it's, it's, it's affordable. It's doable. You've got expertise out there now. You've got technology. And uh, don't be afraid to ask about those 100-piece 100 piece orders and those smaller quantities because your dream is delightfully doable. Yeah. Along the lines of like loading parts, one of the things we had talked about is even just when you put a part on and everything is so tight that the, the operator's loading it and he's got to, you know, kind of give it a little vibration, a little jiggle to make it slide down on things correctly. Can a robot do that repetitively? You know, mm -hmm. can you take that same fixture that this guy had this little intuitive way of? given a little jostle and make things fit, that's got to, you got to rethink that, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I explain it as you've got pre-clamping and clamping a lot of times. You got that anyway, pretty much. When I, like, when you're holding that part with your hand, that's a pre-clamp. Yeah. But in an automated situation, you have to create that pre-clamping and you can do it with spring plungers and different things to push the part, put pressure on it in certain ways. But you, you do have to duplicate all of that in the automated situation. And it is doable. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's little, th I mean, I, I, I watched a situation one time, and many times I said, okay, show me everything you do to load this. And the guy gets it all loaded, and he takes a piece of shim stock, and he sticks the shim stock behind his part and checks all his datums. To make sure he's got make, it all to make in sure there, correct. To yeah. make sure he's up against his datums. And I'm thinking, you have to do that every time. Yeah, because sometimes it moves. Or the guy that loads it, how many times have you seen a guy load something and then hit it with a hammer? Hmm. You know, what are you going to do? You want to buy a second robot and hit it with a hammer? <laughs> so we you know we got to build that all in. And it is doable. 
it can be done. But uh, what I just make you stress tell people is really look at your process, kind of video your, your manual process, video what you're doing now, and then watch that video and think, okay, I'm going to have to do everything I see there somehow. And uh, it, it, it can't be done. But it, if I was to stress anything when somebody's thinking about automation, I would say to really plan it well and think it out. Uh, maybe you do almost like a flow chart type thing. Where hmm. you, and you just have it. Plan every little nuance and every little movement that you need to do. You got to have a plan for it. Yeah, and, to and your that's point. what that's what we're for. That's, I mean, that's I mean that's what you mentioned about holding it down. We've got ZPS units. There's zero point position where it definitely mm-hmm. pulls the part back, and you can have things that push in from the side. They can be pneumatic, hydraulic, and the, you, you can sequence them with the PLC or whatever. But all that can be done. Yeah. And the cool thing about it now is uh, it's it's very doable. To your point, though, Wade, as far as, you know, what the operator is doing as far as, you know, um, massaging that part onto the fixture, right, because you have square corners and you don't have radiuses or lead-in chamfers on on fixture locators, um, that's all critical, right? There's there's ways around some of that with, you know, technology and robots with force sensors and soft float, some of those options that are provided by some of the robot manufacturers. But... Um, you know, you don't want to get into that. A lot of those are, are increasing, you know, adding some cost to, um, you know, to the, the overall cell or to uh, the added programming of that, you know, because uh, that part has to be loaded, you know, and, and really requires feel from the robot perspective to load that part over a tight tolerance fixture. Yeah. Um, we like to eliminate that, right, if at all possible. So by adding, you know, lead ins or chamfers and, um, you know, on, on the fixturing so that it allows the robot and gravity to take effect or even in a horizontal case where the robot's just, you know, loading it to a point. Mm-hmm. The robot will load to a point. You don't, I mean, you know, and when you, uh, when you encounter sharp corners, that's when a fault occurs. So we want to eliminate those sharp quarters, corners and allow that robot to load that part, you know, over that fixture, onto that fixture. And then, you know, it loads to a point, then the fixture clamps come into place you know, and it, you know, uh, seats the part in a repeatable location, um, you know, relying on the robot to, uh, for ultra precise, you know, repeatable uh, locating is, is not really good. You know, you want the fixture to locate yeah. the part. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes there's even a requirement, you know, after the load to come in, you know, and probe the part for, for final positioning. Hmm. Uh, maybe it's, you know, that tight of a, of a load and um, that unique of a, of a part that requires that more times than not, and I yeah. think Jack can talk to us. Yeah, this. there's really two things that I like to tell customers about. You have to, you have to check for location, that mm-hmm. it's there, and you have to also check that it's held almost like a safety. Yeah. Because you can, you can have it right there where it's supposed to be, but have, you know, 10% of the hydraulic pressure you're supposed to have. Right. Or if something looks really good and you're just checking for location, with you can do that with limit switches and things and even vision. Uh, but if you don't have the pressure you need. So there's certain things you have to check for, and then you have to consider safety. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got all this automated stuff going on. That robot doesn't know if somebody's standing there a lot of times, so you have to employ light curtains and lasers and things to make sure that everything's safe. But uh, once again, it's all doable now. The, yeah. the, that stuff is all out there. It's down to the point where it's the average guy can afford it. You don't have to be a large automotive company or something or an aircraft company to afford automation anymore. It can be put into the small to medium-sized shop in a cost-effective manner. 
Well, and that's the thing. Now, don't get me wrong. There were some big companies at Geisiger Fest and putting in big cells, big units, um, gantry-loaded uh, robots and or gantry-railed robots and things of that nature. But the overwhelming majority of the people I talked to were small shops, mm-hmm. you know, the, the under 50 employee type shops um, that were realizing in order, one, to keep my shop going, to keep production going, um, or to meet demands, they've had to add machine capacity, but they're not able to add more employees. So they got to figure out how do I add capacity, mm-hmm. be more productive with the amount of people that I've got and use these people in, in other aspects of my company, keep my mm-hmm. company rolling. So vast majority of them were small, small shops. Yeah, and, and it used to be, Wade, where if a company was going to automate, it would be for one particular process, and that's all it ever did. Mm-hmm. So this machine would be purchased for this part process, this part, and that's all it did, and the robot would be purchased and put together and integrated for that part, and that's all it did. Now you can have a machine that does multiple parts, many parts, and a robot that can run and do multiple things too. So that robot is turning turning more from a single operation type of a thing to almost having like a real employee standing there. You can teach him to do this job and then two months later you can teach him to do that job. Yeah. And uh, that's very, it's, it's, people are doing it and it's very possible. So Ari, talk through one of the cells that I saw there and I don't want to say enough to out a company, but um, the way the cell was set up, there was like four or five different parts running down the conveyor belt and the vision system took a picture of it and figured out what the part was called the program and all that kind of talk through what does that look like? And is that something that people have access to? I mean, is that only for the, the big guys or is that something that can no. be done at a smaller scale? No, that can be done. And I think the, the cells that you're referring to were small cells. I mean, mm-hmm. they were, you know, really two machine cells. Uh, you know, you could put one between, uh, and there's four of them that we built for, you know, two different plants. Um, but, uh, you know, they started out, there are two machine operations. So, you know, the parts are coming in, they're forgings, um, you know, in various different castings of, of multitude of different sizes, and the recipes in there actually accommodate 500 different part numbers. Um, mm-hmm. So you think, and you know, to your point, Jack, you know about the different uh, people that are out there looking for automation, and they think, you know, well, I don't have a million of any one part. They run, you know, 100, uh, you know, 500 different jobs, you know, that are about 50 to you know 100 different uh, pieces. Um, that's what the, you know we're building for this customer, and we've done a lot of different things with our technology and our engineering staff that we have on site at Gosker to make sure that the operator interface is very intuitive and easy to change over from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, t- like you mentioned, uh, Wade, we have all these different fittings that are going in on a um, uh, you know on a, a conveyor. We have we're utilizing uh, and there's different colors of castings, right? There's different materials that we're utilizing. Um, so because of some of the vision challenges, the lighting challenges that we have, we're utilizing a backlit conveyor. So we take the you know, the shiny reflectiveness, you know, issues out of the equation from a vision perspective. Okay, so deep dive that a little bit. What is a backlit <laughs> conveyor for anybody yeah. that's not seen one? So a backlit conveyor is actually putting lighting underneath the part or underneath the conveyor. So, um, you know, the, rather than the, the uh, utilizing a ring light around the uh, around the vision camera inside the canister, um, it actually illuminates and kind of creates a shadow okay. uh, of the part for the ro- for the vision to uh, snap a photo of. So the part um, is actually the, the dark pixels, yes, if you will. Yes, gotcha. absolutely. Um, so we're not, so that allows the robot to um, pick apart. We don't have any uh, contrast issues with, you know, shiny, uh, you know, silverish type parts or dark parts. Um, it's consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
Uh, and we, we're utilizing utilizing a deep learning camera there, so it actually, uh, you know, we, it's artifact based, but it actually learns those those uh, pieces over time. And um, you know, we're utilizing quick change part contact tooling to your point earlier about people changing over different parts, and um, we do that all the time now. I mean, the, the changeover perspective is minutes rather than hours, or, uh, or even even tens of minutes. So you're calling up a program on an HMI, or you know, you know, using a quick cord return of your Allen wrench to pop the fingers out, pop the new ones in for the job, and and you're closing the door and, and hitting cycle start, you know, yeah. and that's and that's what it is. And then the robots utilizing you know external program select and in Akuma's case to call up the uh, the programs on the uh, on the Akuma, hmm. you know, to know to tell the machine what program we're, we're running, and we're running 25 pieces of this and then 30 pieces of that. Um, you know, those are all capabilities that, that anybody has, whether it's a small manufacturer or a large manufacturer. Um, but that's, that's what we're doing now. Um, you even, uh, you know, five years ago, um, there was a lot of systems that we would do for a lot of larger manufacturers. And a lot of those would be, some of those would be one part, you know, more of them were a handful of parts. Now to this point, you know, and some of what we're seeing this year, um, it's more, far more common to uh, build systems and cells around uh, or for manufacturers that are, you know, have 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 different parts. Right. Or maybe there's there's a handful of parts that we're uh, de- developing a system for, case in point for the, the uh, system you're talking about. Um, but there's actually 500 different part numbers that can, that cell is capable of, of mm. running. Um, and we're only executing the programming for a couple, but we're utilizing parametric programming so that, um, you know, we're, we're entering that drawing more or less into a database and it's utilizing those drawing dimensions to offset, mm-hmm. um, you know, the robot. So the operator's not getting into the teach pendant programming, right. um, you know, so it takes the manual intervention out of those setup processes even one step further. Yeah. Uh, simplify, simplifying the operator involvement mm-hmm. um, and really uh, reducing the changeover, you know, to, to the least amount possible. Yeah. yeah when, you, when you first asked me to put together a list of bullet points to talk about, you know, and I I started thinking of a title for my sheet, and I almost uh, put the title down as Myths of Automation, mm-hmm. because that's kind of what I want to talk about was a lot of the things that over the years people get in their head and, okay, this is what it's going to take to automate. And maybe 25 years ago that was true, but now it's not. And, and the other one uh, that, I wanted, that I wanted to bring up here was the fact that people have this tendency to, to have this myth that it's going to take forever to get this thing set up and running. They right. Say, they say, well, okay, if we're going to automate, we're going to put a robot on, we're going to do all this, and I'm going to be setting this up and tweaking it for a year. That's a myth now. Yeah. That's just a total myth. I mean, you've got CAD systems now. You can simulate your programming with 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 different you know types of uh, CAM software, and uh, the the process, whenever it finally gets to the shop floor and you start setting this thing up, it's going to take weeks, sometimes mm-hmm. days, and you're in production. Yeah. So that 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 myth of oh, if I automate, it's going to be expensive. Wrong. It's going to take forever to set up. Wrong. I mean, if you get the right people involved and the process is defined defined right, and everybody understands what their their role is, these things can go smooth. Yeah. Real smooth. So let's let's kind of peel the onion, if you will, on a, a process that we actually just set up um, in conjunction with uh, Jurgens. We're we're doing a upper slide for a gun component. So we have your pyramid fixture. Um, it's utilizing a ZPS type uh, connection. So we've got three different vices. So we're actually doing the prep op. We're putting an op 10 in where we're cutting the dovetail. 
Op 20 is it's all progressive fixturing, right? So we're doing the dovetail. We're flipping it over to an Op 20. Pardon me. On Op 20, we're doing all of one side of the part. And then Op 30 is we flip it over, and it basically locates on the slide uh, component of it. And they're finishing the part doing the Op 30. So every time the door opens, we get one finished complete part out. Right now, we set that up with the mindset of that would be a quick change, manually operated. This is a five-axis machine. And we can very quickly open the doors, pop the three vices off, put three preloaded vices on, shut the door, hit the go button. And while that spindle's cranking out chips, I can be over here on the workbench and I'm flipping my parts. I'm progressing them to the, the next operation. That, that is a manual process, but that could very quickly become a AWR uh, automated cell operation, right? So we can have drawers that the robot is grabbing these vices off of, loading it into the machine, dropping the fixtures that need to be progressed into a lower drawer. The operator on the outside of the cell opens the drawers, pulls his parts out, makes his changes, shuts the drawer, and it's ready for the next one. Am I going down the right road? Exactly, Wade. I mean, if, if we had a picture of it here, you could show it, but all you would have to do to automate that process is right now, those vices, I believe, are bolted to the pyramid. Mm-hmm. All you do is put a ZPS module in between them, and now you can automate it. Yeah. So taking that process from what it is right now to full automation, I would think that Ari could figure that out probably in a week and have a quote and mm-hmm. have the thing. We could actually be in there doing it probably within probably six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. You'd have a, you'd be you'd be up and running, and that so, would that was from the from the time they asked for it to the time they were making chips. Yeah, so I think that's a, that's a great point to talk about as far as um, you have a manual fixture scenario where the parts are being manually fixtured onto those onto those uh, pallets, and you're putting that into the machine. Um, you could take that one step forward and put an auto, you know a robot there to where all those pallets that those parts are staged on are inside the uh, let's say a drawer system or a or a cart. Uh, we're actually working on a system right now where we're doing that very same thing, mm-hmm. where the robot you know the operator is fixturing the parts onto. Um, onto the, the pallets, um, and, and this customer wanted to do that because they were castings. They, they, they never uh, cut these parts before. They're unqualified castings, so they wanted to make sure that they're sitting on the pallets uh, properly. Um, this is their first endeavor in automation as well. Um, so they're, they're loading up all of these parts. It's a two-op part, um, so they're first loading them up, and uh, it's a pretty lengthy runner, about 35 to 40 minutes. Uh, but they're loading them up. Uh, we have 48 pallets in queue. The robot picks the pallet out. It actually, the robot reaches into the machining center. Uh, it's an Akuma Genos M465AX machine. Um, you grasp a hold of the lever, pulls the lever to unlock the vise, pulls the other finished part out, and then loads the next one in. Um, you know, that's really the first segue into this, you know, and then you can you can do that, and that works, you know, that gets you some unattended runtime. You take it one step further, and then you go into a hydraulic or pneumatic clamping situation where the robot is picking raw work pieces out, whether they're, um, you know, uh, saw-cut slugs of some sort or forgings or castings mm-hmm. or aluminum die-cast parts of some sort, picking those out of a material handling solution and then loading those directly into a hydraulic or pneumatic work, work holding solution. So that takes it even one step further as far as eliminating or reducing the direct labor content into that into that work cell. Right. Um, so, you know, you have, like you talked about, you know, the manual vices and loading those parts manually into the vice. Mm-hmm. Take it one step further where the robot's doing that, you know, with unclamping a, uh, 
a lever unlocking the vice that way and then going into uh, one step further, the hydraulic or pneumatic work. So those are really interesting points. Um, one of the things that we really haven't talked much about yet is uh, the inspection side of it. So um, a lot of times I'm thinking about getting parts in the machine, using the probe to figure out where the parts are, get the cutting process going. But talk me through a little bit from your guys' perspective on inspection, on making sure you're making good parts in the process. Yeah, well, while the machines now with probing are capable of inspection, they really are. But you're, you know, the, the the drawbacks on that is one, you're using the spindle now for for a CMM, mm-hmm. so it's not making chips anymore. And the other thing is, you're using the machine itself to inspect itself, so it's like the it's like the fox guarding the hen house. Yeah, and that's so a, that's lot, an a lot of customers will say, well, you know, and and I, and I agree with it that you want to then take your parts out of the machine tool, put them into a quality control environment, right. CMM, gauging, whatever. So the inspection's going on while the machine's cutting. Mm-hmm. And then you tie that all into your PLC, and if the CMM finds out that something's out of tolerance, it stops the whole process, tells you what's going on. You can even have it adjust cutter comp, make changes, work offset adjustments, all that can be done autom- automatically. And then you can say, okay, well, once I make a cutter comp adjustment on this particular tool past three thousands, mm-hmm. I know it's time to change the tool. Yeah, Because that means it's well, it's worn. So all that can be figured into the automation, yep. and it's it's not hard to do, and we do it all the time. So you bring up a great point, um, and you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet because we just recorded it. We haven't got it rolled out yet, but uh, the previous podcast, we actually talked about uh, Karen Autocomp, for an example. That's a great way. That's the conduit, if you will, from any kind of inspection device to anybody's tool offset, not just Okuma. Any, any machine tool builder out there um, can utilize that, again, to eliminate that that intervention of the operator. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different options that we have. I mean, you know, automation's great for making, you know, a lot of parts, but you know, if you don't have the proper checks and balances in place, you can make a heck of a lot of bad parts too. Yeah. Um so, you know, post process inspection is key. Um, I mean, you know, there's a couple of different things that we can do in terms of post process inspection. One of those and probably the most cost effective for, you know, maybe a job shop manufacturer is just loading the part into, you know, pulling the part out of the machine, going through an air blow-off situation, and then loading the part into what we call an audit drawer. Um, You know, that can be set up on an interval or that can be set up by request uh, via the HMI that we put into our cells. That allows the operator to open that drawer um, on an interval or by request and inspect that part for quality, making sure that, you know, the, the part that you are making is, in fact, a good part. Um, you know, so that's one option there. Um, the other options we have is, you know, going a little bit further in terms of, you know, uh, comparators or shop floor CMMs, um, even uh, vision inspections that we're, we're doing now. Um, you know, those are those pieces, inspection pieces of equipment have come a long way in terms of reliability, um, as well as cost effectiveness and changeover. Um, like anything else, right, right there's a um, there's very few manufacturers out there in the in the marketplace today that are making a million of one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them are making you know, um, more or less uh, uh, low volume, high mix type applications. Um, so, uh, but like you, to your point, Wade, um, in almost every single occasion where there's some sort of uh, post process inspection, whether it be um, you know uh, an equator of some sort, a comparator mm-hmm. of some sort, or a shop floor CMM. 
uh, Karen Engineering, AutoComp, and TMAC is almost always utilized, and if it's not, it should be. Right. That's <laughs> uh, a tremendous uh, tool. So one last point, and we'll wrap it up. I know we're uh, probably a little over a 30-minute mark that we try to aim for, but uh, one of the things I saw at Gosker Fest was a vision system uh, that was doing some inspection, doing visual inspection yeah. of a part to make sure, I think it was an ID thread or something along those yeah. lines. Tell me a little bit about that, and, and what are some of the applications that could be used in? Um, really, we're just scratching the surface. I mean, that's uh, that can be utilized in a multitude of different scenarios. The reason why they're utilizing it is it's a, it's a cast uh, part. Mm. Um, and, you know, so it's a cast part, and with cast parts, oftentimes you have porosity issues. So the vision uh, will pick up porosity yes, in the part yes. before it's cut or, no, or after, after it's cut? It's cut. So after and it's then cut. kick it off so it doesn't wind up yeah. in a customer's bin. Yeah, because the, the challenge that they had, they were faced with before is there's operators uh, manually ins- inspecting those. Well, there's an operator saying that they're, they're inspecting every single one. Um, in reality, too many parts that are failed parts um, are making their ways their way to the customer. Mm-hmm. Then they have to pay to ship them back, and then you know ultimately remelt them, um, you know recast the parts. Um, so we're utilizing the vision inspection there to check. Uh, we actually have two uh, um, cameras set up um, to check a couple of different features. We're making sure that the machine parts or the machine surfaces don't have porosity in them. We're also making sure that there's a, an oil hole that's present. Um, and then we're also making sure that the drilled features are in fact drilled and they are in fact tapped and that there's not a tap broken off in them. Um, so that's wow. the first, after the machining process, um, that's the first uh, line of defense, you know, and if, if it doesn't pass that, then it gets kicked out. From there it goes into, you know, a Renishaw equator uh, for some measurement and utilizing some care and engineering for autocomp. Um, and, and then on to, um, you know, some assembly processes that we're working on there and then uh, ultimately pack out for shipment. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time today. Jack, always a pleasure. Um, you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, if anybody needs to get a hold of you or Jurgens to learn more about work holding, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I would say start off with the Jurgens website, mm-hmm. www.jurgensinc.com, and go in there. You can find phone numbers and things. And you can get in touch with me right through the website. All right. Ari, how about you for Gosker Automation? The same thing, um, you know, our, our um, www.gosker.com website is a, is a great ass, uh, great tool uh, to look at um, and reach through, uh, out through the, the website there or automation within reach, uh, create an inquiry online. Um, most of those come to myself and then we can uh, figure out who the best person to talk to for the area that you're in. All right, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you got thoughts, questions, ideas for future podcasts, You can find me on LinkedIn or reach out to us on the Akuma.com website. Be sure to check out our YouTube channels as well for other machine content as well as video footage. Till next time, we'll see you then.